You're listening to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. This is episode number 33, airing on July 19th, 2012. Welcome to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. My name is Dave Stahoviak. And my name is Sandy Morgan. And this is the show where we empower you to study the issues, be a voice, and make a difference in ending human trafficking. Sandy, I'm so glad to be back with you for our 33rd episode here. Believe it or not, uh, we're over a year in talking about uh, ending human trafficking, and we've had so many great opportunities to make connections really all over the world. Uh, But we have not had a chance yet to talk to the person that is uh, that is our guest today, who's someone who's such an important voice in the uh, the the fight against human trafficking, and uh, we're going to be talking today about uh, really how vocabulary impacts our views on particularly the issue of sex trafficking. And you and I have touched on this before, Sandy, but today I'm I'm so pleased we're going to spend uh, really some great time talking about this with Lisa. All right. And I am happy to have my friend Lisa Thompson as a guest on our podcast. She has been a voice that has spoken into my journey, understanding the issues surrounding sex trafficking. She's been a leader in the Salvation Army on their initiative against sex trafficking. She's part of the Hands That Heal Steering Committee with FAST, the Faith Alliance Against Slavery and Trafficking. Um, The list can go on of her accomplishments. So um, we'll just jump right into this and welcome you, Lisa, to the Ending Human Trafficking podcast. Thanks, Sandy and Dave. It's really great to be able to join you. Well, um, when, when you and I have talked about vocabulary as an aspect of how we engage our community, how we educate our community, how we address Um, the battle against human trafficking. I don't think there's any other advocate out there as determined as you are to make it clear that what we call someone is really important. The rose by any other name would smell as sweet does not apply here. Yeah, that's really true about the the um, the analogy to the rose. But I, I sometimes think maybe they could put a, a placard on my door, the the word police. The word police. <laughs> I, yeah, I do take it pretty seriously how we um, discuss this issue and how and what we how we say what we're talking about. And I think we just kind of um, a lot of times we just don't give a lot of thought to the the meaning behind our words. And what kind of worldviews we might be uh, putting forward by not being careful in how we talk about this issue. So I, I'm pretty vigorous about um, trying to correct language, my my own language, and how I talk about trafficking, and also trying to train people to be a little more uh, sensitive to certain terminology. Well, let's t- start right there. Then, what is the number one? Uh, word on your list that just makes you crazy to stop it? Well, I'm not sure if I have a number one. There's a bunch of them that are really high up there. But one that really, I guess, one that does stand out to me is uh, the phrase forced prostitution. Oh. That might not be everyone else's top offender, but I I think it's a particularly insidious uh, phrase. 
explain it. Well, what what it's trying when people say forced prostitution, you, you, there I think there's two categories of people who use that phrase. There's one category of people who are very well-meaning and they're trying to talk about something, you know, oftentimes about trafficking, um, and they just don't know other language for discussing it. Um, but then there's other people who use that language very intentionally because they want to create um, kind of a two-tiered system of prostitution. In other words, they want us to believe that uh, there's forced prostitution and, oh, that's bad, that's terrible, and that's just a small amount of what happens in prostitution. But on the flip side of that coin, there's voluntary prostitution. And, gee, if it's voluntary, that must be good prostitution. And so really the intent here. Uh, by some of these individuals is to create this, um, these classes or bifurcate, if you will, uh, prostitution so that we can have a, a bad kind and a good kind. Because the people, there's, there are people who want to promote this idea that some prostitution is good prostitution or it's okay. So if it's voluntary, it's okay. And I just totally reject that idea. I don't think there's any kind of prostitution that is, that is good, um, that's good for women or that's even good for the people who are, um, you know, purchasing women for sex. Uh, all commercial sex is inherently dehumanizing. Like commodifying the sex act, I mean, seriously, that, that's a disgusting uh, thing to do that dehumanizes the person who's being purchased and the purchaser. And whether a person does voluntarily prostitute, and, and, you know, there's a whole wide range of subjectivity in there about whether or not it's really chosen. But uh, for those women who maybe really did have uh, more opportunities than most women in prostitution, uh, it still doesn't mean that they're not being harmed or that they're not being dehumanized by participating in prostitution. And really... Um, you know, there's just because somebody chooses to be something, be involved in something, isn't an acceptable way uh, to dismiss the harm that's involved in it. So, for instance, like if we, there's a great um, a part in some writings by these two women, uh, Stark and Stark and Hodgson, and they say that we don't dismiss uh, rape and battery by saying that a woman chose to walk down the street alone at night. So we're going to dismiss the harm of prostitution because she happened to choose prostitution? Mm, those are important, significant considerations. What about some of the other terms that I hear in the media? Um, commercial sex worker. Yeah, that's, that's another one that really, um, I think, we, we have to really stand up against because what it's trying to do is normalize the idea that selling sex is a job. And I know I once attended a conference when I heard a radical feminist, Gail Dine, speak, and she was speaking, uh, it was actually about pornography. And she said, you know, God didn't put any woman on this planet to be a porn star. Mm. And, it, and it was funny because it took her saying that for me to realize, well, gee, God didn't put any woman on this planet to be a prostitute. And if that's the case, I think our language needs to reflect um, our Christian worldview, that, that really prostitution is prima facie evidence of the fall. It's not some 
occupational choice. And we need to use language that, while depicting what prostitution, that prostitution is happening, doesn't, on the one hand, label the women and label them as something um, bad or degrading like the other terms, such as prostitute or whore or any a long list that you could come up with. But um, on the other hand, we don't want to use terms that normalize what's going on. And that's exactly what commercial sex work, the term, is all about. I mean, it's trying to make selling sex sound as normal as being a high school English teacher or, um, you know, I don't know, any take your pick. Uh, but it's just trying to make it sound like it's a common day choice and like something that you could take a course in at college or get a degree in. Well, and and it's confusing sometimes about where that crossover point comes. Um, we've talked a lot in, in this um, podcast about the use of the terms teen prostitute or child prostitute and why that is really an oxymoron because these kids do not have agency to consent. So you can't even consider them in in using that terminology. But at the same time, when we begin to get people to move away from that terminology and they start talking about child sexual exploitation, um, then they dump it into the sex industry. And, and it, and it, and I'm, I'm concerned about what that means. How, how do we find a way to frame it so that it doesn't normalize a sex industry? Now, that one is really hard. I mean, I, I actually probably cave more on that term than I should. Um, I, it's really hard because there is, there is a trade that is going on that exists solely in the marketing of sex. Uh, but, how, you know, there, there are some ways that we could rephrase it, but I think it would take a lot of um, organized people to start using that language because I, I don't use it more, th- more than I do because I just don't think people would understand what I'm saying, at least not in the mainstream, you know, the popular vernacular that's out there. Advocates would get it, but I don't know that um, the popular culture would. So, you know, we could say things like organized sexual exploitation, Okay. Which I really think that's what it is. Um, we could call it the prostitution industry, which is also more accurate. I mean, it's not really sex. It's, it's prostitution. Whether you're talking about pornography or stripping, it all boils down to forms of prostitution. Uh, so we could frame it as the prostitution industry. But then I think most people aren't going to have um, understand all of the commercial sex industry as a form of prostitution. So that's where that becomes a little problematic. Hmm. So, but the, the whole idea that sex sells, um, you sent out a, um, an e-blast on your server just in the last couple of days and referred to an article called Stop Calling It a Sex Scandal. Why did that media critique um, strike such a chord with you? Well, I, I felt like standing up and cheering. <laughs> it was such a powerful piece. Uh, well, the, um, the author uh, just really what took issue with the way that our media describes or talks about the various sex abuse uh, contexts or situations that happen in our society. So you take anything from Tiger Woods to uh, the latest thing with, with Penn State and Jerry Sandusky, and the headlines over and over call it, will refer to these instances as, as sex scandals. 
when really these are scandals about sexual abuse or child molestation or even in some cases rape. So we're, they're being mislabeled and it's a label that puts a veneer or a sheen on what's going on that sort of hides the real sinister character of the acts that are involved. So um, I, I was really just ecstatic about this article because, you know, this lady is saying, hey, uh, attention, all writers, all uh, people who do the, the headlines, who write the news, who report it, whatever, um, if it's rape, call it rape. If it's harassment, uh, if it's molestation, if it's child pornography, use those terms. Don't just call it a sex scandal. Well, it almost seems like the media industry, because it is an industry, it is a for-profit industry, um, they're trying to drive their ratings and drive their profit margin. And so their choice of vocabulary is designed to sell, right? I, I would say, sometimes I would say that's probably the case. Other times I think people just aren't thinking. Uh-huh. Um, it's sort of, you know, we have terms that are in such you know, in the common vernacular that are everyday parlance. And, you, you know, when we say sex scandal, it's, it comes out easily. Uh, but we don't really think, oh, if that's a, a child molestation scandal or a child rape scandal. And it, it, A, that's maybe a little bit more of a tongue twister. It's not an everyday phrase you hear, child molestation scandal, child rape scandal. Um, so I, I think it's, it might be on one hand intentional uh, because, of course, the word sex just glides easily off the tongue and sex does sell. And who wants to read about uh, child rape scandals? It's much easier to take, you know, to drink your coffee in the morning over a, a sex abuse scandal than over a uh, child rape scandal. So, yeah, I think you definitely have a point there. And then I also just think there's people who um, just haven't really thought it through. Mm. So, what would you say to um, to the media about how we can begin to educate and be part of educating our communities to engage at a at a more um, competent level? Well, I, I just think everybody needs to pay more attention to what it really is that they're describing. If you if you really deeply uh, think about the the issues on which you're reporting, to me, it's pretty clear that this isn't about sex, that it's, you know, usually when we're talking about these, these quote, scandals, they're some sorts of, some form of abuse or exploitation. And we just, people just need to be much more, uh, really more involved about telling the truth, really, and not putting a gloss on, on things and, and trying to make things prettier than they really are. You know, one question I have for both of you just listening here, and I think some of our listeners may be wondering too, is um, I think uh, something that came into my mind when I first heard both of you speak about some of the vocabulary years ago is, you know, well, what's the big deal? Why do we have to really go through this process of defining vocabulary? And and even with terms that have become so popular these days, like, um, you know, we just become desensitized to like pimp, for example, Sandy, you and I have talked about that term many times before. Of What's the benefit of us really spending the time to kind of, uh, you know, define those? And how does that help us to really combat human trafficking? I'm, I'm curious mm. on your perspective on mm-hmm. that. Well, I I would say that I think our speech should match what we our values and our beliefs, and we're and when we talk or when we write, we're sending out messages. 
um, that that really they give people they give the people an idea into our heart, into our philosophy about life, um, our 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 religious beliefs, uh, what what we're anchored in, and I think so many of these terms uh, that are out there that are in common use uh, sabotage our our gospel message. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think saying a phrase like commercial sex worker sabotages the gospel. Uh, you know, uh, it sabotages God's beautiful creation. And I, as I said before, I don't think God put anyone on this earth with the, with the purpose in mind that she'd be involved in prostitution. That um, So if we use a phrase like commercial sex worker, you're basically saying, well, yeah, that's just a job and... Um, you know, this isn't really out. This isn't out of the ordinary. Uh, this isn't some really a, even. A, I would say even a crime against uh, the female sex, which is what I think it really is. So um, that's what personally why I think it's so important is that our words express. Uh, there's a whole lot of meaning. And for instance, like if we just talk, take the the, the life issue. Uh, an abortion, and you can tell right away where people stand by the words that they use, so that whether they choose pro-life or pro-choice, and that's an immediate signal of where they are uh, on, <laughs> on this particular issue. Do they believe in the sanctity of life in the womb, uh, or is life disposable? And so I think we have a very similar issue here. Mm. Well, you know, when you're talking about this in the context of of our community and you you're talking about women who are sold we have to ask the other side of the question about what do we call the purchaser um i've heard terms you know of course the slang john but um i'm really uncomfortable because i hear so often clients what what do you think about that yeah i, I really detest the term client I mean, a client is someone who is going to a doctor's office. A client is someone who, um, I don't know, or a customer is someone getting his, his car repaired or, you know, shopping at his local supermarket. But when we use that term in regard to male sex buying behavior, again, it's so normalizing and it's so sanitizing of what they're doing. I mean, they're going out and buying a person to basically rent their sexual organs for five or ten minutes is probably the extent of the time for a lot of these exchanges, and and then just walk away. And I, I think that's just reprehensible. And when we call it something so benign as a client or a customer, it's such a whitewash of what's happening. So again, I think that the words we choose are important in terms of really describing the truth of what's happening. And so um, now this becomes a bit tricky because there are people who would probably go pretty far and say, oh, these are sex abusers or sex criminals or, uh, you know, there's, it's been, there's been some discussion about how we should describe them. And while I do think that what they're doing is criminal and reprehensible, I also don't want to start any language that would actually um, contribute to villainizing uh, and all the the male sex buyers because there is this tendency to start creating these kind of caricatures of the male sex buyer, uh, either casting them all as like pedophiles or casting them all as some great, I don't know, sexual 
perverts of, a, of the tallest order, when a lot of these are very ordinary people um, who have a problem, they might not even recognize that they have a problem. And I don't think, um, my personal view is that creating some monster class of people, some ultra villains, it doesn't really uh, advance our cause. <laughs> Mm. Um, that I want to describe their behavior without um, totally demonizing them. And so I usually use the term uh, commercial sex buyer or male sex buyer because most obviously most sex buyers are male. Um, So those are some phrases that I use. There might be others that are better, and I'm always welcome uh, new ideas. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Well, we're looking for better ways to... Um, frame the issue and to describe what is actually happening. Um, so then what terminology do you prefer for for the um, the woman who is being sold? What should we call her? Well, I, I would usually say a woman who's being prostituted mm-hmm. or a woman who's been trafficked. I mean, somewhat, it, it, um, yeah, a, a trafficked woman. A trafficking victim or a trafficked person, uh, a prostituted person. Mm, those, so, I guess those are will be what I would be using. So it's something that happens to her. It's not something that she makes a choice to do. Well, yeah, I think we're again we're trying to capture the activity that's happening without labeling the slapping a label on the person because you know labels tend to they're sort of like a shortcut to summing up a person's identity. So if I label you, um, you know, and particularly some of these labels are so pejorative if we talk about a phrase like prostitute, uh, you know, that's automatically pejorative. I've automatically have all these associations about you, about your character, about who and what you are. But if I say you're prostituted, well, I understand that that's an experience and I don't automatically slap all those judgments Mm. on the individual. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and there is a move in the states here. I think now we have six states that have passed some kind of law that will take the, um, the label prostitute off of a, uh, a person's record if, when they were um, arrested for juvenile prostitution. And I know here in California, Carissa Phelps has been an advocate to make that happen here as well because that label goes with you for the rest of your life. Yeah, it's really tragic when, you, when you're when you a child and you've been sexually exploited throughout your childhood and then you're arrested and you get a criminal record that says you're a prostitute and, as you say, that follows you around. I mean, that that's really, that's, an, that's an another injustice um, to kind of, den- to call the victim a criminal that's another. That's an injustice. So it's it's exciting to see this shift happening, and more and more and more people working to uh, create the changes in our uh, state statutes, so that we we won't be revictimizing these these women and girls. It's a really interesting point, just for us as, in general. I think back, Sandy and Lisa, to you know some of the work I do with coaching leaders, and really, I mean, and, and comes right back to parenting too. Of um, you know, condemning the action, but not the person and us making a distinction between those things of, uh, certainly condemning these actions and working against them, but also being able to, um, 
you know, not attach labels to people and to empower the person to, uh, you know, to change or to, you know, learn from their mistakes or whatever the situation is. That's an excellent way of putting it. <laughs> so um, in, you know, wrapping up our our terms here, then we have agreed that we're not going to um, call someone a prostitute we are not going to call a purchaser of sex a customer or a client, and we're certainly not going to refer to anyone as a commercial sex worker because we want to frame the issue in um, a context that focuses on um, what is happening, the exploitation that's happening to this person, and especially when we're talking about what's happening with the growth in um, the number of victims who are minors, um, more and more attention is being given to the number of of boys who are also being victimized. And what can we do to make it more um, uh, accessible for them to come and talk to somebody about what's happening to them? Because they see themselves through what they are called and they won't report, according to many of our, our juvenile workers. Mm-hmm. And, and one thing that sprung to mind, Sandy, just as you were giving that recap, that's an important caveat that I should add to this discussion, is that, you know, if a woman, if I met a woman who is involved in prostitution anywhere, you know, say, you know, on some street corner in D.C. or wherever in the world, and she comes up to me and she said, I'm a commercial sex worker, I'm not going to stand there and say, you're not a commercial sex worker. You're, you're a victim of commercial sexual exploitation or you're a prostituted, prostituted woman. I, I'm not going to challenge how a person might be, how they're presenting their own identity. Mm-hmm. So the, the main issue here is how we discuss this issue in policy and advocacy in public debates, public forums. Um, so it's another matter when you're talking to individuals who, you know, you're might be counseling or just would encounter in this work. Um, so if a person said that to me, I would just say, well, okay, and, and have some other kind of, you know, have some kind of conversation with them uh, and, you know, maybe try to find out more about their experience. And I could probably find out some, without too much work, some signs of exploitation in their experience I would, you know, I might be able to point out to them. But I, I, so the point is, uh, just be careful in how we, it's not about challenging uh, individuals who say, I'm a prostitute or I'm a commercial sex worker and trying to uh, have a debate with them or challenge how they personally identify. This is much more a conversation about how we handle this in an academic, in a public policy, and in a kind of a cultural uh, discussion Mm, way. And I just want to thank both of you for the perspective that you bring on this. I know prior to meeting you both, um, I'm sure there are some of these terms that I used and and just not knowing, not being really savvy of, uh, you know, some of the implications behind behind how we define things like this. And I think, Sandy, this is really an important message for what the Global Center for Women and Justice does, which is starting first by studying the issues. So when we do go out to be a voice in the world, that we really are using language that's in alignment with exactly what we mean and what we're advocating for. And um, I think both of you have been very important leaders, certainly for me, on using good language and making good choices on the language we use. And uh, I think back to the quote by Plato, I think it was, who said, 
the beginning of wisdom is the definition of terms. And so mm. uh, oh, if, wow. if, if we start there, then we really do um, set ourselves up as, as people who can really be a voice and ultimately make a difference in ending human trafficking. And if we don't define the terms at the beginning of our discussion and our, our public discourse, then we can be beating our heads against a wall mm, because we are coming sure. from different perspectives. Um, a lot of, of what we're talking about right now is, is very pertinent to um, the themes around pornography, which Dave, Lisa Thompson is another great voice in that arena as well. And I'm very happy to tell our listeners that Lisa's going to be out here at the Global Center for Women and Justice in March. Oh, great. At our next Ensure Justice Conference as one of our speakers. And before that, Lisa, we will invite you back to actually do a segment on pornography. I, I would love to do that. I, I, I really appreciate the opportunity. <laughs> well, I, I don't know how we can do all of it in a 30-minute podcast, <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. but maybe we can at least define the terms Mm-hmm. And so we start from um, a good solid base. If you have questions for myself or for Lisa, you can email those to us at gcwj at vanguard.edu or you can call our, our phone at the office, Dave, which is 714-966-6361. And especially if the, anything we've talked about today has raised questions for you and you want to know more, feel free to call us or email us. We'd love to engage in dialogue with you. And you can also comment right on our website at gcwj.vanguard.edu. And uh, just a reminder, the podcast is produced by the Global Center for Women and Justice here at Vanguard University. And I want to take a moment to thank Lisa Thompson uh, for being our guest today and uh, joining us uh, on the podcast. Thanks, Lisa. Thank you for having me. It was a real pleasure. Likewise. Well, Sandy, I'll see you in uh, two weeks for our next show, episode number 34. All right. Take care, everybody. 